We are so glad that you're able to join us today. And uh, we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 is where our passage will be. But before we do that, we want to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to give you an opportunity to post any prayer requests you may have. We also want you to realize that you're welcome to pray with us, and I want to encourage you to do so. Pray with us, join us. Uh, those of you who may be sitting at home right now, you may be homebound, you may be in a hospital bed, uh, you may just have stumbled across this broadcast. And I assure you it wasn't by chance. God had an appointment for you to be here today. We want to welcome you. We want you to open your Bible, whether it be a printed Bible or something that's on your iPad or your phone or whatever it may be, and join us. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father and Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to open your word once again. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the help that you've given to spread your word. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would reach out touch hearts and lives with your word today. Lord, not, it, not that it comes through me, not that it comes through the speaker, but Heavenly Father, that it comes through your spirit. Anoint the word that you have given. May it reach those whom you have sent it to reach. Heavenly Father, may it accomplish all that you've purposed it to do. We pray and lift up those who are sick today those who are struggling, those, Heavenly Father, who may feel they have no purpose in life. We lift all of them up regardless of the need, regardless of the person or circumstance. And Heavenly Father, we'll be careful to praise, honor, and glorify you and all you accomplish through everything and everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Coming to Mark chapter 6 and verse 1. We're continuing in our study of the book of Mark. Uh, you can go to our website www.theinspiringword.org and you can find the entire series from Mark chapter 1 verse 1 up into Mark chapter 5 verse 43. Later today or this week Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6, today's message will be added as well. So if you have someone that's uh, that's in your family, a friend or whomever that you know and hasn't got a church, they're not in church today, I want you to invite them to join us as well, please. Alright, let's go to our scripture. And he, meaning Jesus, went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon and are not his sisters here with us and they were offended of him. but Jesus said unto him or them 
make profit is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. We have here the, the passage of Jesus having came back to Nazareth. He had came back to his hometown. Now we would think that Jesus would have received a hero's welcome. We would think that with all of the healing and the miracles and everything that was going on that Jesus had accomplished, everything that had been spread abroad about him, that, that people would just give him a welcome that was fit for an emperor of that day. It reminds me of uh, a novel that Thomas Wolfe wrote. He titled it, You Can't Go Home Again. And the book is about a name, man named George Weber. He is an author who has written a successful book about his hometown. When he returns home, he expects to receive a hero's welcome book. Instead, he is driven out of town by his friends and his family. They feel betrayed by what was written about them. And Weber is shaken by their reaction to his work and, and, and his book, and, it, and he leaves his hometown behind to go find himself. George Weber discovered that those who know you best tend to respect you the least. As I said in the opening, our text finds Jesus coming home. Our Lord's return to his home community doesn't go the way one may expect it to. After all, uh, Jesus outside of Nazareth is a celebrity. He, been, he has been traveling the countryside, uh, preaching, teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. He's been controlling the forces of nature. He's proven that there's something special about him, something very special. And he is different. Of course, the last time Jesus was in Nazareth, it didn't end well for him there either. He went to the synagogue, <coughs> excuse me, and he preached from Isaiah 61. That's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 16 through 20. And in that service, Jesus announces himself to be the Jewish Messiah. The people of Nazareth rejected him, they rejected his message. They even tried to kill Jesus by throwing him off of a cliff. Nazareth, and he went to preach in Galilee. He, it's now a year later, and he returns to his hometown. He returns to his hometown to give his family, his friends, and his neighbors another chance to receive him and his message. 
Now think of that. After they tried to kill spiritually, God is giving you another chance. Jesus is coming into your life and into your presence right now with another chance. Grace is abounding all around you with another chance. What will you do with it? What will you do with this other chance? When Jesus does arrive in Nazareth here in our text, he's not greeted by excited people. And it really seems, according to the text, that they ignore him until the Sabbath day. Then they come to the synagogue, and they come to listen, to see what he has to say. What is of real interest is the people's reaction to who he is, to what he says, and what that reaction caused them. So I want you to notice with me a few things this morning. So a few things about the community. And a few things about what was going on in their life. And a few things of what their behavior cost them. First, the community was shocked by his preaching. Before Jesus announced himself as the Messiah, and that was shocking enough for them to want to kill him, but now, they're even shocked more so. He astonished them. He astonished them. In verse 2, this word, it means to be seized. It means, it means to be stricken startled with a sudden alarm. When you are astonished with something, you're spellbound by it. And that's the way Nazareth was to Jesus. His preaching touched them so deeply they were astonished. They wanted to know how he knew they wanted to know where the wisdom got from. See, they knew about Jesus. They knew his family. They knew they knew Mary, his mother. They knew Joseph, the man who raised him. They knew everything about Jesus and his family. But here Jesus was preaching to them and revealing things in their life that he should have no knowledge of. And it may not have been specific things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus was pointing out and naming specifics. But he was preaching about the authority of God in the person's life and what it reveals to their conscience. And it was astonishing to them. They were just mesmerized by it. 
They were actually filled with fear. The fear of what? What were they afraid of? When we're afraid or threatened, we always respond in one of two ways. Psychologists call it the acute stress syndrome or acute stress response. We know it better as flight or fight. So when we're confronted with something and it puts fear in us, we want to do one of two things. We either want to fight or we want to flee. And that's where the people of Nazareth were at this time. There was fear of his words. Fear of the message he was preaching. Even though he was preaching with grace and with charm. And let's make no mistake about it today. God's word is grace. And God's word is peace. And God's word is charming. But God's word will also stir up fear. It will stir fear in your heart. Fear in your life. It will stir fear because you will realize to the depths of your soul that God knows everything about you. He knows your actions. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything there is to know. There's, there is no negotiating with God. There is no compromise. Because God has all of the evidence. And that strikes fear. And when we as humans have that response to the words of God, we by nature want to fight God or we want to flee from God. It's called the sin nature coming out in all of us. Whether you're saved today or whether you're not. Whether you're following God closely today or whether you're following Him from afar or whether you're not following Him at all. When God's words touch your heart and when God's words reach into your life, you will want to fight him or flee from him. And that's what was happening in Nazareth. And you know, this picture here doesn't just set a tone for who these people are. It sets a tone for who we all are. It sets a tone for the way we all behave when we hear the word of God. But yet with grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we overcome fight or flee. We overcome it with response. And we'll get to that shortly. But not only was there fear of his words, there was fear of his wisdom. When Jesus spoke, his words were filled with truth. The people heard him declare the old truth in new ways. Think of that. What Jesus had to say had already been said 
many times over by the Old Testament prophets. They had preached it over and over and over. The truth of the wisdom of God's Word was nothing new, but yet Jesus brought it to Nazareth in contemporary ways. Just like today, when we bring the Word of God, we bring it and we apply it to the 21st century. Because it applies and it works just as heavily and just as soundly today as it did in the 1st century. Friends, we have to understand that God's wisdom is an everlasting wisdom. It never diminishes. As we get older, our wisdom may gain in some ways, but we will lose wisdom in earlier things because of our age, because of our ability to remember, because of things like that. Not with God. His wisdom is real. His wisdom is real. And it is everlasting. Next, I want you to know that there was fear of His works. You see, the Lord's fame preceded Him to Nazareth. In other words, people knew about Him before He got there. They heard about His miracles. They heard about everything that had been done elsewhere. They heard about the casting out of the demon the demons at Gadara. They they heard about the raising of the child, of the dead child. They heard about all of the healing. They heard about the, the calming of the storms. They, they heard about all of these things. They heard about his works. They couldn't believe that that young man from their hometown could do all of that. How many times today do we hear about God acting and working in somebody's life? How many times today do we hear about somebody about somebody being miraculously healed? How many times today do we hear about things going on in people's lives that science has said it can't happen or it won't happen? And we know that God has moved. But we just refuse to accept it. Think about it. We're not far removed from the people of Nazareth. We're not removed from them in the least. As a matter of fact, it's very possible we're in a worse situation spiritually today. Because of our intellect, because of our technology, we have placed ourselves upon a pedestal higher than the Tower of Babel. And we worship not just another God, but we worship ourselves. And we deny the works of God. Let's just let this come home for a little while this morning. Let's let it sink in. Let's not look at those who are living beside of us or those who are sitting beside of us. Let's look in the mirror. Let's think about me. 
For that was the fear of his works. The Lord's message still affects people that way. In all of these ways. When we read the Bible, when we study the gospel, it will cause us to be astonished. Consider some of these claims. All people are sinners. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Also, we realize all sinners are headed to a place called hell. Psalm 9-11, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. There's only one way to be saved from sin and its penalty. Oh, that strikes a very deep tone today. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for in no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. All other religions are false religions, and they all lead to hell. John 3.18 and 36. The only way for anyone to be saved is for them to place their faith in a man who lived, died, and rose again from the dead. 2,000 years ago. Take a look at John 14, 6 and 10, 9. Folks, we haven't strayed away from this. The message still astonishes people today. We want to all consider ourselves Christians because we're tolerant. Christians because we're inclusive. Christians because we're accepting. Christians because we don't confront. Oh, we want to consider ourselves Christians on all of those accounts, but none of those are supported in God's Word. And because they're not supported inside of God's Word, we're offended. And because we're offended, we choose to fight or flee. Well, not only was the community shocked by his preaching, but the community stumbled over his person. The people of Nazareth heard the message that Jesus was preaching, and they rejected it because they thought they knew everything there was to know about Jesus. I mean, he had grown up among them. He was one of their own. They seen him as a child, and they watched him play. They watched him grow. They watched his family. They knew that Jesus had never been to any of the schools of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He had no formal training. He didn't have the recommendations of the church. Let me frame that into a better perspective today. Jesus didn't go to divinity school. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't have the, the, the big denominations supporting him. 
Jesus wasn't ordained by the laying on of hands of the, of the popular people in the community. He had none of that. He was preaching a simple message. And because he had none of the attributes that they held in high regard, they refused to respect. They saw Jesus as a common man, a working man, someone who needed to be sitting in the synagogue, not standing in the synagogue. They also knew he was a carpenter. And a carpenter in those days didn't always build houses. They built everything from farming of implements uh, to tables and chairs and furniture and and done masonry work and all kinds of things, carving, everything like that. They were a jack of all trades, so to speak. So they looked at Jesus when they asked the question, you're no better than we are. Why do we need to listen to you? That's what was in effect running through their mind. They didn't see the Son of God. Because they couldn't look beyond the person they had imagined. That happens a lot today with preachers, with evangelists, with pastors. God will send someone to a church to be a pastor and they will reject that man and push him away. Just because he doesn't fit their image, God will send a message through someone to to preach or to someone, maybe not to be a pastor, but to go about preaching the Word of God. And they, even though the message may be doctrinally sound and the calling is legitimate, they will refuse to respect that man simply because he doesn't fit their image. Their image. It happens. It's happened. We're told that they were offended in him. The word offended has the idea of causing someone to stumble or to be repelled to a point of abandonment. In other words, Jesus was so repulsive that he was being accused of causing people to fail. He was being accused of causing people to abandon their traditional beliefs. If a traditional belief that we hold dear does not have support inside the Word of God, and we become offended when someone preaches against it or preaches the, 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 the attitude of it being from man and not of God, do we not get offended? Now, we should get offended when the Word of God is offended. But we should never find ourselves 
offended because of a man-made tradition being called out. Friends, we're looking in this mirror called the Word of God today. And when we're looking in this mirror, we don't like what's staring back at us. Are we going to fight God? Are we going to flee from God? Or are we going to respond to God? Well, God only was the community stumbling over his person. The community was shunned by his power. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. They rejected his response to their unbelief. All of that is to, is to quote her in a common proverb. Jesus told them simply, familiarity breeds contempt. Now that's not a biblical proverb per se, but it is a proverb. Familiarity breeds contempt. When you're familiar with something that's being told to you, or you're familiar with something that's being read to you, or something that you're reading in your own heart, in your own life, and you get pointed out as being wrong, being familiar with that information brings contempt against it. And that's what happened in Nazareth with Jesus. They were familiar with everything that he was telling them. And because of that familiarity, they had contempt because of the familiarity with the preaching of the Word of God today, there's a growing number of people in our communities and in our nation that have contempt against God, against His Word, and against His preachers. If you have a preacher that will preach the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God and will preach it with grace and charm and passion and compassion to the sinner seeking a response to God's Word, then you have a charming gift that's set before you. Don't seek contempt. Don't fight what God has put there. Don't flee from what God has put there. Respond to it. Respond to God through that message. Respond to God through His Word. Respond and let God have His way. Don't be shunned by the power of God bringing conviction into your life. There is nothing to gain by it. And there is only misery 
that will lie ahead of you. <coughs> misery, misery because of your conviction. Conviction that you're dealing with right now, if you try to fight or flee from God, will be multiplied. Conviction of the sin that you have right now in your life will become heavier. And that burden will be greater the bear. Don't shun it. Respond to it. Well, it means I will have to quit this or I will have to quit that and I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. Listen, you won't have to change your mind about anything if you will respond appropriately to the Word of God, repent of your sin, ask Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, just as He's convicting you to do right now. Jesus will make all the changes. And it won't be something you have to do. Bless God, it'll be something you want to do. Something you're looking forward to. There's no room for rejection. This is in a story with an eternal ending. All messages of God's Word have, a, have an eternal ending. And it's one of twofold. It's an eternal ending of heaven or hell. You can fight God, you can flee from God, and you can find hell in the end. You can respond to God and, and, and have His salvation, repentance of sin, redemption through His blood, and find heaven in the end. So it comes down not to what God is going to do to you, but what are you going to do to yourself. There was a quote by a very old Scottish preacher named A.J. Gossip. He went to preach at a church one Sunday. When he returned the following Sunday, his pastor, Alexander White, asked, Where where were you last Sunday evening? Gossip replied, I was over at a certain church preaching. White asked, How was it? Gossip said, Cold. I found it very cold. Cold, cried White. I'd say that place is cold. I pre preached there two years ago and I still haven't got the chill out of my bones. Fight, flee, or respond. Are you going to be cold and indifferent to God? Or are you going to be on fire for it? Or are you going to be 
working for him, letting him work through you. Only you have that answer in your life. I can't make the decision for you. If I could, I would. But it isn't up to me. God called me many years ago to be saved by grace through faith in His precious blood, Jesus Christ. I responded. He later called me to preach His Word. I responded. Am I better than anyone? Absolutely not. I'm no different than you. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You are a sinner. Maybe saved by grace, maybe not. What will your response be? Or should I say your reaction? Are you going to fight God, continuing to fight Him? Are you going to continue to flee from Him? Or are you going to respond and do things God's way? I trust you will follow His Word. I trust that the Lord would not be able to look upon you and say he could do no mighty works. Can you imagine how that must feel for Jesus to look upon the life and say, I can do nothing because of that life. I can do nothing there. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that. As we close in prayer, you you can make a decision. You will make a decision on how you approach God, on how you approach His work, on how you approach His handling in your life, on how you approach His grace and His mercy and His compassion. And how you embrace this other chance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given. Thank you for the strength. Lord, I pray that you will anoint the word that has went forth. I pray that it will touch hearts and lives. I pray that souls will be saved by your precious hand. Lord, take it. Take it to the far corners of the earth. Use it in a mighty way and may it not return to you for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the inspiring word this week. We trust it's been a blessing to you. Keep watching. We'll be back hopefully next week with another message from God's Word. So long.